Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and you're listening to episode number 16 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. And by the way, happy 24th birthday to The Mandolin Cafe. Scott, you're doing such an awesome thing. Uh, it's the best. So thanks so much, and happy birthday. This week's episode is with Mike Compton. Mike is a, is a heck of a guy, and he's got a great laugh and uh, some great John Hartford stories in this episode. And Mike is also the first guest to pick up his mandolin and actually start playing some examples. So that's pretty rad, too. Um, obviously, remember, he's playing them over a phone. But uh, you can 100% tell it's Mike's playing. But if you really want to get a taste of Mike's playing and learn how to play like Mike, he is an instructor at Peghead Nation who is sponsoring this episode. And if you heard the podcast before, I'm sure you're familiar with PegheadNation.com. But if not... They got a bunch of great, great mandolin instructors. They've got Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, and Chad Manning. And all the courses have high-quality, multi-angle video lessons. They've got downloadable tab and notation. They've got play-along tracks and a bunch of tunes to play along with. And if you uh, go to pegheadnation.com right now and use the promo code Mandolin beer at the checkout you get a free 30 days mandolin beer is all one word and you add it at the checkout they have mandolin guitar banjo fiddle dobro ukulele bass and bluegrass old time and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors and in roots music so go and check them out thank you to peghead nation um this podcast is definitely going to get a part two i've already been texting with mike this evening and we will get to that sometime in the new year um there's so much to talk about um, but one of the things I did want to mention that we did not get to at the podcast was he's got a new release or a new release out with Norman Blake, and it's called Gallop to Georgia, and it's actually a CD, and there is a book for it as well. And they do um, songs of the repertoire from the Mississippi duo Narmore and Smith. And um, if you listen to any of the Narmore and Smith stuff that's on Spotify, uh, it's it's some difficult stuff, and it, and Mike learned all the fiddle parts so it's amazing i highly recommend you getting it and mike's music isn't on spotify so go to mikecompton.net i'll have a link at mandolinsofbeer.com and go and purchase his music Uh, so there's that in other cool mandolin news don sternberg and frank sullivan announced some tour dates together as well and i'm interviewing both of them this week for some back-to-back episodes that will uh, come out right before their tour and it's just a few dates But man, that's going to be fantastic, so be sure to check that out. And also things to check out at the very end of this podcast, the brand new single from the band Hawktail is featured. Uh, Sarah Bennett from IVPR in Nashville, who represents a bunch of incredible artists, uh, she sent me an MP3 of the brand new single. And Hawktail, if you're not familiar with them, it's got Dominic Leslie on mandolin. It's got Brittany Haas on fiddle. Paul Court from the Punch Brothers as well. He's on bass, and Jordan Tice plays guitar, and they got a brand new release coming out, and the song is awesome. So it's at the very end of the podcast, so thank you to Sarah. Be sure to check it out. It's a great, great tune. Be sure to follow them. Also, uh, trucker hats are selling great. Thank you guys so much for the orders. I just got in some winter knit beanies. Uh, they are really, really cool looking, and they're very limited at this moment, so... Uh, If you want one of those, go to mandolinsofbeer.com where you can get shirts, stickers, koozies, trucker hats, and winter beanies. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to uh, like it and follow it on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to enjoy this episode with Mr. Mike Compton. Thanks so much, all. 
and uh, we'll see you and talk to you next week. Cheers. Now I'd like to welcome to the Mandolins of Beer podcast, Mike Compton. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, Daniel. How are you? Doing great, man. Thank you so much for doing the uh, podcast today. I appreciate it. You you got a lot going on. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just bits and pieces of stuff. You know, I, this project and that project. I've, I've just dug out a thing here that that's probably going to make people that know me gasp a little bit. I just I just dug out a uh, a duo style primer by. Giuseppe Patini. Oh, did you on, really? On, yeah, I just I, I I printed this off a while back, thinking, well, this looks interesting, and and uh, I just opened it up and and started trying to go through it a little bit, and it's kicked me in the teeth almost right away. So this is going to take some. This is going to take some doing. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious! And you're right. Um, I think a lot of people would probably be surprised to hear that you're working on that, but uh, maybe not everybody, because listening to your stuff. For a guy who's, I mean, the finest Monroe-style mandolin player out there, no, I mean, you're so great at it. You also, you're just great varied stuff, man. Uh, you, you're such a great player. That's why I'm excited to talk to you today. I got, and I think a lot of people are excited to hear about that. Only years ago, um, doing some stuff at the uh, mandolin symposium with uh, Evan Marshall being there. He's got a. a a bit of a duo style that he does and uh, I just picked up on just a a very, very basic lick on it, and I've started using a little bit of it in uh, playing either gospel plow or uh, sometimes even in prayer blues. I'll use a little bit of it. Oh, cool! Uh, whenever, whenever it comes to mind, and you know, I gotta say it's. I don't know if you could really actually call it duo style, but that the, the idea I got from uh, Evan. So. I just thought, well, I'm Ben's that I'm I'm doing a little bit of it anyway. I thought maybe I would dig this thing out and see if there was some more of it in there that I could use or wrap my brain around. So yeah. we'll see. Oh man, it's so cool! And and, and um, when we're talking about Monroe stuff, we should talk about you were also finishing up some artwork you said here for the uh, the Rare and Fine album release, which is Rare and Fine Uncommon Tunes of Bill Monroe. That's coming out. How did this? Um, so this looks like it's kind of some tunes that um, weren't necessarily recorded by. Monroe, but you you were familiar with them, and how did so? How did this album come about? Um, goodness, I have been uh, familiar with a lot of the well, most of these tunes for for years, mm-hmm. um, quite a few years. Um, so I, I guess there's a, there were a number of tape collectors around, and and people that were you know just Monroe fanatics that that collect all this stuff, and. Uh, I know, me and a couple of friends of mine used to sit around and, and play all these things that came through, and so they've they've been on the radar. Uh, primarily, people that that like to play Bill's stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, so these are these are not unknown, 
they're just unknown to the, the masses sure. pretty much and, and their tunes that bill wrote but he he never recorded any of them on any of his records um i mean if, if you've heard bill play anything then you realize that these are definitely in in his style <laughs> cool. so you know i've got everything from uh like a, an old a radio show that has one of them on it from uh i guess probably around 1950 uh, a little bit earlier up through probably uh goodness the 90s wow so there's yeah there's it's 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 a long stretch mm-hmm. um and you know you can find some of these things on the internet it's just it's in collectors uh website it's not as if they have just gone by the wayside and, and nobody's done any of them, but they sure. were done uh, on a very limited basis. And, yeah. uh, so they're rare and not necessarily all unreleased, but some rare stuff that a lot of people might not be familiar with unless you're a, like a Monroe yeah. completist. I think actually one of them he has put on a record that uh, has, uh, uh, again, his very last project, I believe, in the studio which has remained unreleased, I think. Uh, well, at least one of these is on that, but I, I may put it out before he did. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. That whole tape trading world, that was like, that was the YouTube before YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, cassettes and reels to reels. I mean, that's where m- most all of this stuff came from. That's great. So how did you, how did you get yourself into the mandolin world? Oh, goodness. Why did I start playing the mandolin? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I played trombone right, right prior to mandolin, so mm-hmm. it was an obvious segue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, um, whenever, I guess I got, I, I lost interest in, uh, in the playing the horn because, uh, well, football and girls, basically, <laughs> when I was in, in high school, and uh, and the uh, the band director that we had at the time, I was really fond of, and uh, she got transferred someplace else, and I just dropped out of the band at that point. Mm-hmm. There was I, I was about the only one in the band that played the trombone, and and it and it didn't feel like uh, a really uh, friendly environment for were one or two trombone players, so I quit. <laughs> sure. I was a small school. I, there was a, a cousin of mine that uh, played guitar and mandolin and what have you. Uh, his grandmother and my grandmother were sisters, and uh, their daddy played the fiddle. And uh, one Christmas, I guess around the time I was 15, he inherited uh, the fiddle that belonged to the guy, and we we all just kind of fell in love with it. And, uh, you, you know, I have this little piece of history come, come forward about the time that we were all getting interested in our, our past and who our relatives were and, and, you know, digging out photos and, and trying to figure out who everybody was. And, and it, turned out as the years have gone by i found out that uh, a lot of my relatives on that side of the family were fiddlers and banjo players and guitar players and uh, they used to travel around the country and wagon and, and play for dances and picnics and all that kind of stuff oh, wow. so, 
So, um, and I've got photos of a lot of them. Um, even I've got a photo of one lady sitting in a rocking chair playing a banjo. So, you know, it's, it's something that's been around for a bit. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know. I just figured it was an occasional thing. But apparently this family was uh, well known for being uh, musicianers, as they say down south. And, uh, and so, so, it's, so it's in the family, mm-hmm. but at least on the Compton, on the Compton side. Right, or I, I should say, Galleon side. That's my that's my grandmother's maiden name. Oh, okay. And so you know, so he and I, um, he and I got together and and started, you know, trying to learn how to play Cripple Creek and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. One thing, one thing has sort of led to another. There was one guy down around in the town that I grew up in that was uh, had a band that had a bluegrass band and. Uh, he was a Monroe uh, fan, still is. He's still around. And he's the one that told me how to listen to Bill and, and figure out what Bill was doing because he was the foundation of of all this music that we were listening to. Wow, and cool. so I I so that's what I did. I'm I'm still I'm still learning. <laughs> I bet that everybody else were, were just uh were farmers and and uh that old time uh, fiddle tune, old time band musicians right. played man, tater bug mandolins, and did a lot of a lot of old time songs. But Arthur Smith. And yeah, was was there who was who was the band? Was there a particular band before Monroe that you really were kind of on your radar? Yeah, the the thing that was popular at that point in time was the uh, the soundtrack to Deliverance, and that's that's what was I guess the first I remember the first time hearing hearing that guy play uh, some mandolin stuff on that record. I can't, you know, I, is it, was it Eric Weisberg? Oh, is that who that was? I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure off the top of my head. I think that, anyway, I just thought, my goodness, if I could learn to play that like that, I'd, I'd really be something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, and for me, really, uh, Monroe was an acquired taste. It's sort of like, like drinking beer for the first time. It wasn't so great, but it really grows on you after a while. <laughs> It's really interesting. It is because I I also came to Monroe, you know, after hearing guys like Thiele and Sam Bush and everything like that, and every you know everything. And then as you go back, yeah. you know, and then you listen to these albums, and it's so raw. But that's what's so great about it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, it's it's the uh, it's sort of the primal vein that gets me the uh, just the the lack of apology for for playing clams and and playing and singing a little bit out of tune now and again and. It's just all it's all the emotion and the lack of uh, spit and polish that that gets me. It's it's unapologetic and it's and it's really strong and straightforward. And uh, you know it's it's Bill Bill wouldn't be denied whenever he first started. He just kept <laughs> ramming it down people's throats until they caught on. 
Oh, man. <laughs> and so was it after like the deliverance thing and after somebody told you, you know, get into Monroe, was it just, was it like a deep dive after you really started getting into it? Was it, or did you kind of bounce around between styles before you really dove into this Monroe thing? Well, I, I really kind of just kept, kept on with Monroe and trying to figure out what he was about. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I've, I've, I've been a fan of country blues for as long as I have been a fan of anything, I guess. And so, so I've always listened to that some and, and, uh, I think from from being around my my parents, their record collection had a lot of different kind of things in it. Everything from Ray Charles to Herb Alpert, the Tijuana Brass, and and Strauss, and and all kinds of stuff. And I've I've still sort of have that kind of a follow a tangent musical taste. Yeah. I, I listen to lots lots of different kinds of things. But I don't I don't choose to play anything other than country styles. Uh, usually, this country. Uh, I love Anya. Um, I've been listening to Rotten Taters all morning here, and um, there's a lot of really that cool country blues sort of vibe on some of those tunes. Man, I really love it. One and one is two, and two and one is three. You ought to be ashamed of the way you treated me. Now, babe, I'm going to leave you. Going back to Tennessee. Thank you. I, I, it, that feels to me. I feel more at home doing that than anything else. Uh, there's a sort of a, a Mississippi heartbeat in that in that that pulse that comes from comes. I guess just comes out of where I grew up. Mm-hmm. You, usually, if I if I go back home and uh, have have the chance to gang up with some of the people that I was around when I was growing up, learning. Uh, just kind of fall back into the groove of it, so it's it's just part of you know that that part of the country. That's the way people hear time, and that's just the way it comes out. And I've heard um, I've heard musicians from other countries say the same thing. Um, Kevin Burke, who's a fiddler, mm-hmm. I remember hearing him one night talking about the accent uh, and the way people played the tunes where he's from. And how it was, he could stay gone for years and then come back and just take right up where he was was because he rec- he remembers the accent of the way people play. Wow, cool! And you know, it's it's that way in this country too. It, it really just kind of depends on on what the local scene is. It it has a its own sort of a signature accent to the way people play the vocabulary mm-hmm. and. It, it, it really is. It really is uh, a big part of the music. I really love that. It just the whole the whole album feels very natural when listening to it. You know, what I mean, it sounds like a guy who sat down and played these songs that are that are just you know completely natural to him, and there just happened to be mics set up to catch it. <laughs> well, that's that's more or less what I did. I was in Australia whenever that came about, and uh, was was staying at Paul Duff's house. Oh, cool! And, the uh, the um, the builder, yeah, nice. I, I was staying. I was. I think I was sitting out on his porch, uh, just watching the world go by. And uh, he came out and he said, "You know, 
uh, we've got about three or four days to kill here. And uh, one of the guys that used to be in the band has got a studio. And uh, he said that he doesn't have anything on the books. And uh, you ought to go down and, and maybe spend a couple of days doing some songs. And he said he would throw his, he would throw in his engineering for nothing. Uh, he said, it might be a really good time for you to get that first record together. And <laughs> he, said, he said, it's just something to think about. I'll leave you to ponder on it. And, uh, but he had, Paul had said something to me or two or three times before that, you know, and I knew what he, he laughed when he walked off. Cause I, and he knew what what uh, kind of a spot he had put me in. I got okay. I got let's see, free studio time, free engineer time, several days to kill, nowhere to go, no way to back out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I cool. went in the house. I went in the house and got some paper and and uh, wrote down probably uh, fifteen or twenty songs that I figured out. I could probably get through mm -hmm. by myself, and so that's what I did. Oh, cool! That uh, the one song I really I think I went back to about three or four times today was uh, "Post Oak Grove." Is that in a? Is that in oh, yeah. a? Is that in a different tuning? Yes, it is, and it's also played on mandola. Yeah, I was going to say it definitely sounded like a mandola. And um, yeah, what what tuning is that? It was cool. Well, it, it's it's what uh, normally would be called cross keyed on on a fiddle. Mm -hmm. uh, the the low string is brought up. I guess in this case, well, let me let me get mandola here and, and figure out what it would be oh, on sweet, mandolin. Man. <laughs> on mandolin, it would be A E A E, which would be this. Oh, oh cool, yeah. But on that, on that, I guess it's the C F. What would it be? So that would be a C. It would be a D. A D and then an A and then a C D the G A and then the same thing again D so that's what the tuning would be. Well, what what I've been doing with it uh, is putting octave strings on the C and the G string, which oh, is really. And I've just got to messing around with it, but it it, it kind of gives it some sparkle on the bottom because mm -hmm. then you know usually if you play the G note, then you've got a uh, so you got an octave higher. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, so I've ended up just putting a, a spare second string on the bottom and a uh, spare first string on the third. Uh, put it in the top groove, otherwise you play right over it. Right, it, right. And it gives it, gives it sort of that 12-string effect. Yeah. But, 
Did you ever listen to uh, Charlie and Joe McCoy? players, mandolin and guitar players from um, around Jackson, Mississippi area. Charlie's one of the better known blues players uh, in the early days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Joe, his brother, played more, played a mandolin more like it was a guitar, but he he worked for Memphis Mini, was married to her. And uh, I think probably if you look look for Charlie and Joe McCoy, you'll find it pretty quick. They, they moved away from Mississippi, uh, and I think... Uh, while Charlie was in the army, Joe Joe went, went into religion for a while. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they they ended up in uh, Chicago, I believe, and they they had a group called uh, the Harlem Hamfats. Did uh, got to sort of some uptown did pianos and horns and what have you, all that kind of stuff. There it is. So I just I borrowed some stuff some ideas from there and, and put it on the mandola. The, the tune I got out of a, a book by a guy named Ira Ford, and I'll have to go look. I found it online, found a listing for this. Post Oak Grove was in the book. I'm looking in the bookcase. Let me see if I can find it. The guy's name was Ira Ford, and uh, it was mostly songs from out Arkansas, traditional music of America. Oh, Ira, cool. Ira, Ira W. Ford. The first third of it is notation, and the next two thirds of it is are songs with makes a notation and lyrics. So you read? Are you you read notation? Is that what you kind of picked that up from when you? Yeah, were... yeah. After uh, after my trombone days, I kind of forgot it, but. Uh-huh. Uh, I went and did uh, did a, a Christmas a series of Christmas music with Nashville Bluegrass Band uh, years ago, and uh, we were playing with the Nashville Symphony, and uh, they of course the symphony they were reading music and we weren't, and it, it was a little awkward and somewhat embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so. So I got, I got, I spent the rest of the winter with a book that Butch Baldessari gave me. He he took pity on me, and I I was relating the story to him, and he he gave me a book that's called I Can Read Music, and it has notes in it about the size of a butter bean, <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously written for kids, and I I I spent the rest of the winter <laughs> learning how to read note standard notation. Wow, that's cool. And so, um, how did you get? How did you get to Nashville? I moved up here. Uh, I came up with uh, the fellow in, in Meridian that had a band. Uh, Raymond Huffbaster was his name. Uh, is his name? I came up here and visited. Uh, came up to visit some some folks that he knew, and then run around music stores one have you, one time, and uh, ended up going in 
a club that weekend and meeting Hubert Davis and and his family, Ruby and Shelby Jean, and uh, I think one of the guys that were is playing in the band is from Laurel, Mississippi, and uh, which is about thirty miles down the road from where I'm from, mm-hmm. and. So I got to talking to him, and uh, he he told me that if I would move back to Nashville, that uh, I I could uh, start playing with him. I you know I, t- I put it off for a while. Originally, I had I think also during on that weekend I had had played some with uh, Pat Enright and a couple of guys. Uh, I believe a guy named Art Malman and uh, forget the fiddle player. They said they were going to start a band and needed a mandolin player, and uh, we played in front of Monroe that night, which was just terrified terrified (laughs) me. I bet. Yeah, but, uh, you know, so there was that, too. Yeah, do you remember what you played in front of them? No, I I, I remember I didn't play very well. (laughs) (laughs) Because I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that much about what I was doing, you know. Sure. Even less than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so, so that's you know that's that's what what was going on, and I I went home and immediately stopped going to college, and uh, every morning I. After my parents would go to work, I'd just get in my car and and drive off to the dirt pit and play the mandolin all day and and not go to school. And uh, I had a guy I was working uh, going to school on an art scholarship, which involved architectural drawing and and you know doing all that kind of stuff using mechanical pencils and whatever back when they did that. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I had a job working at a company that made maps. Uh, of coal seams and that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Just a lot of draw, really, really dry stuff. And one of the guys in there encouraged me to do what I wanted to do. Uh, I think he could tell I didn't really enjoy the job. <laughs> and, and and one of the guy, one of the teachers at the school told me I talked to him one day, and and uh, he told me that if I wanted there was something I wanted to do that I, I should probably set out and do it and uh, at least try it and see if it's really what I wanted to do. And, you know, it seemed like a huge decision to make. And, you know, gosh, I was, what, 20 years old, 21? And uh, decided I'd just leave home and come to Nashville. So... After after all of that, I just told my mother I was going to leave, and <laughs> I think she tried to talk me out of it at first. Sure, but then she she said, "Well, if it's what you really want to do," and so I left and moved. Came up here and moved in with J.T. Gray, the guy that owns the station. In I lived with him for a few months, and then uh, and working a day job. And then worked with uh, Hubert some, and he he said that I could come live with them. So that's what I did. I I moved moved in with the guy I was working for and lived with them for a number of months until mm-hmm. I got my own place. Nice. What was the uh, what was the first like band situation that you started playing and recording in when you were up there? I was Hubert Davis. Okay, cool. Yeah, he. I guess they did two or three records. 
uh, sort of the old style. You go in and play them two or three times and pick the best one. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> That's it was very a lot more straightforward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Not like not like working with Sting. I'm guessing. <laughs> That's a bit a bit different. <laughs> yeah. How did how did that st- well 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 we have that name how the heck how does something like that with Sting come across that one surprised me I knew I actually love the album that you did with Elvis Costello um, I think that's great that's a fun one it, all of that stuff was an offshoot of the uh, Old Brother movie yeah uh, T Bone Burnett was the that guy that was producing all those sessions um, I don't remember exactly. <laughs> This was after uh, after the the uh, old brother stuff, and they were doing Cold Mountain, and they had hired T Bone to do a bunch of that music too. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, as much as a, as as huge a success as the first one was, he just followed suit and and started doing a lot of that same kind of music for the. Uh, Cold Mountain thing. I, I guess a part way through, they they ended up hiring a uh, a different musical director who had a bunch of real heavy sounding classical music that had had been. Uh, I don't know if it had been recorded previously or not, but it seems like that's what I had heard. But they had a, a much different idea about what ought to be going on in the background and. Uh, they did. They did keep some of the hillbilly music, <laughs> but there's there's some pretty dark, some pretty dark sounds in that one. Right, right. Uh, all all of that was because I, I remembered uh, Dirk Powell was was playing banjo on this cut with Sting and and uh, Dennis Crouch and myself, and it seems like maybe Stuart Duncan. I don't remember exactly what all, but he he sang that song. <laughs> Seems like a couple of dozen times, and I guess it just never did feel like to T Bone like what what it was he was wanting. Sure, but uh, Sting didn't falter. I mean, he sang it the same way every time. Oh, no, no kidding! And yeah, he didn't he didn't blow it once. I think they just didn't like the feel of the band behind him, and I I could can't really say I blame them. It was very, it was real complicated, uh, chords. And, uh, I was having, a, uh, it was giving me fits. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something that we hadn't rehearsed and we just had to go in and, and try to figure out what was going on. It just, it just was coming off. I, I think with, with not enough energy. And, uh, so it never did. And they didn't use it. But he, he, but he was cool. Oh, that's, that's nice. Nice. <laughs> he came up to the came up at the uh, party we did uh, whenever they were whenever they had all, all a number of a variety of things that they were doing to introduce the movie, and uh, one of them was a concert. We went out on, and uh, in the just in the in the room backstage where everybody was kind of hanging out and and. Uh, he he came up to me and he says, "I remember me." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> I thought it was fun. I just busted out laughing. I said, I said "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." 
<laughs> oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so um, was the uh, Nashville Bluegrass Band, was that kind of your big, the one that really was like a, like a jumping board for you? Yeah, I think it was for for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, we we took off like a rocket, and I, I think much to everybody's surprise. <laughs> uh, when it got together, it it just put you know put bread on the table for sure. But then it got to where it was a lot more popular and uh, was playing all over the place, all over the country, and starting to go overseas and. I don't, you know, I, I couldn't figure out, I didn't foresee it coming, certainly, and I don't, I don't know if the rest of the guys did or not, but I just, after about four or five years of it, I, I thought I probably should just do something else, Ben's it. No kidding. Yeah, I, well, I can't imagine what else we could do. This is, this is kind of went farther than I thought it would ever go, so sure. I, I just bowed out, bowed out and decided I'd. I'd get another job and, and, uh, Oh, no kidding. Like, like outside of music, another job. Yeah. Just, wow. uh, while I was still, still young enough to, to learn and learn another vocation, I've, I figured, well, I'll just drop out and, and uh, leave this music thing alone. And I guess I'd, I quit NBB in the end of 88 and, by about 1990, I was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there was, and and uh, you know, there were a couple of other at, at that point. A couple of mandolin players, young mandolin players, had moved to town that had gotten pretty much all of the mandolin work there was to get once I once I had had made my way back down here, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was, it was a little bit of a shock. <laughs> Uh, it was a wake up call. Certainly, I realized that I, I wasn't fit to be around without without the music, whether I was doing it for a living or not. And uh, you know, it was a realization that it was a big part of who I had become, and that I had to do it, or I wasn't going to be fit human being. And uh, so, I I just came back to it. And nice. Fortunately, ended up ended up working uh, working some with David Greer. And, Hartford after that. Yeah, man, Hartford, what a guy who, who had some amazing tunes. Yeah, he, he worked at it. He worked at it incessantly. Um, uh, he worked at it really hard, and he worked at it all the time. Wow. So what was it like to work with him? Well, it's a lot of music. John just, he just liked to sit around and play, and, and he had a lot of ideas, not all of which seemed... Uh, <laughs> See, sound sometimes, but you know, I mean, 
a little a, a little out there, sure. But uh, one of the guys that that uh, John admires, uh, Texas Shorty, is quoted as saying that John was not afraid of discovery. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, he was he was willing to try all kinds of stuff just to see what would happen. And you know, sometimes I would think, well, this is just madness. But you know, if it if it was too far out on the limb, he he would just rework it, or either he'd just drop it. Uh, I would try try things in front of the crowd and see what was working and what wasn't. And if it wasn't working, you would never see it again. Wow! You know? Yeah, but but he was he it, it was all about music, a lot of musical energy. Uh, I think probably, you know, just nonstop musical energy. What if he was awake? If he was awake, he was playing something or writing something. Wow, that's great. Gotta be pretty inspirational when you're in a situation like that too. Being somebody who's you know decided how much music meant to them, and like you had to come back to it, and then falling into that yeah. or not falling, I should say, because you know you had a reputation that earned it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Hartford, you know, it, you know that. That that much energy coming at you all the time does have a tendency to wear you down if you're not geared up for it. And, sure. and sometimes it was sometimes it was exhausting, and sometimes it was you know just what you want. So if if I was sitting up riding the bus, it, you know, having to sit there behind me for for a few hours playing the banjo, bouncing bouncing notes off of that windshield into my face <laughs> a little bit much. <laughs> but he would he would he would do this thing where he would play the mandolin and he wouldn't let me get mine I'll tell you what he wouldn't mash the strings down all the way uh-huh he was just using the mandolin for a slide room he was working out tunes but if, if he was working on a tune it'd be kind of like <laughs> nerves are about shot and i said john for uh, i was driving and i just looked up in the mirror and i said john for the love of god will you mash the strings down (laughs) 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 and and he he said what and i said mash the strings down so that there's notes coming out of there and he says am i bothering you And I said, yes, you're about to drive me crazy. <laughs> and he, of course, he said, oh, I'm sorry. But, you know, <laughs> nice. John was a little bit of an instigator. So, I mean, I, I think he, he kind of knew what he was up to. But, sure. I mean, that, but that's what he did. Yeah. He just wanted to see how long I, how long I could take it. <laughs> <laughs> So let's jump up to the uh, let's jump to the Oh Brother Where Art though because it's pretty interesting that Deliverance, which um, was kind of like a big uh, brought you know banjo music uh, you know really kind of back into the forefront for a little while there turned you onto music and then here you go to the Oh Brother Where Art though which which you know led to a giant explosion.
What was that? What was that like? Well, it, it was uh, whenever I was working with Hartford, uh, they, they they called him. Uh, I guess the, the Cohen brothers got in touch with him about coming and doing some fiddle music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of the one of the Cohens is uh, has a, a child who's a fiddle player or takes fiddle lessons, so they were familiar with the with the genre and. Uh, John went in, me and me and uh, Chris Sharp, uh, guitar player, went in and, and recorded, seems like over a day and a half, about 36 fiddle tunes. Wow, cool. And some of it I played guitar on, cause, and Chris played mandolin, because John said it made it sound more authentic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's that's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it was uh, you know some of it was uh, old, the uh, old time tracks, I guess that they were basing some of it off of, where some of the bands were weren't uh, <laughs> as polished as some of the others. So, right. John thought that it would be good for us to not sound as polished either, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, more handicapped than anything. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But but um, I guess we did that, and a few days later they asked us to come back, and uh, John gave us instructions during the session. He said, "Whatever." He said, "Well, what are we going to do?" And he says, "Well, you just do whatever's going on." He said, "If people are playing pool, you play pool. If we're just sitting around, then you sit around." If people are, are playing music, then you play music. He said, just do whatever's going on and everything will be fine. So that's that's what we did. That's great advice. Yeah. Well, I mean, it ended up being several weeks of it on and off with all of those all those folks. And it was, you know, really, really it's mostly just old music. Uh, the, the whole thing... Um, T-Bone had, had, uh, had the engineers set microphones up all over the place, uh, because, you know, there were spontaneous little things that would break out and I could see him in the, in the control room. Sometimes if he, you know, they'd have things on and they were listening and if stuff, something would start happening, they would, uh, turn the mics on and, and, uh, Get it, get it to where just that was coming through. Maybe, maybe in the main room, it may be somebody sitting at a coffee table singing a duet with somebody else playing a guitar, or, or oh, wow. you know, it could be most most any kind of thing. They had a a coffee table that was about six inches deep, and well, we're talking about a four or five foot coffee table that was about six inches deep in in CDs that they had bought for reference material. And uh, T-Bone told me that that was about half of what they had. Wow. Yeah. And I, he said, I was looking through them just when my mouth finally falling open. And he said, well, if you, he said, take whatever you want out of it. Just make a list of what you got so we can replace it. But I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get any. I wish I, now that I had. <laughs> sure. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Oh yeah. man, I bet. I, and it was just just people walking around, you know, uh, just just being there. There was there's a lot, just no telling, hours and hours and hours worth of music that's that's in the can that nobody's heard. 
Uh, a lot of it probably not been. I think uh, I was talking to somebody not long ago uh, that said that they were in the process of re- reworking some of that stuff. So I, I don't know if it's going any of it's going to see the light of day or if it's all just right where it's going to be. Sure, sure. And you got you still tour like as the Soggy Bottom Boys occasionally as well. Yeah, I got a cruise coming up in um, February. Oh, do you really? Oh, yeah. nice. Oh, is it the K- the Kayamo cruise? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I have some friends who go on that. That sounds like a blast. Well, looks like it's a it's a week week's worth and it and it pays real good. So <laughs> that's why I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I don't blame you. So let's um let's talk a little bit. I I would love to talk just a, a little bit here about some of your technique. Um, you know, a lot of people. I mean, your right hand is obviously great. But your left hand technique blows my mind. Watching the the slides you do and the smoothness, I mean, I would love to talk about how you developed that and and and. Mm, well, um, I think probably it started with hearing um, a record that, that Bill put out that had the song "Lucky Lady" on. Which is a tune of his uh, in G. One hour, there's a turn at the end of uh, at the end of the A part and at the end of the B part. It's sort of a and I I know a little bits and pieces of this were on earlier albums, but for some reason it just caught my caught my ear, and I and I just remember thinking I want to be able to do that. And that that kind of got me started. It was just it was the model that went into my head, and then I got to realizing that it was a lot more like fiddle playing than it was mandolin playing. And it's and it's um, basically it's keeping pressure on the on the fingerboard when you move around instead of lifting your fingers up and trying to play individual notes. Mm-hmm. It's there are slurs involved. Uh, as well as slides, and it's an effort to play in the cracks, which is Harford's explanation for it. But he was talking about fiddling, but but so am I. It's, sure, it's trying to trying to make a mandolin sound more like a fiddle, and you know the notes that you can't get to because of the frets, you end up sliding over those, and you get. Uh, your brain kicks in and and takes part of the responsibility for blurring the lines between what notes are there and what notes aren't there. So you you know logically, if you're playing a whole series of notes, like that. Mm-hmm. If you're playing that whole series of notes. You know, there are no quarter tones. There are no half. 
you know, that's all you get. But if you slide over and play tremolo, and this is the part, the technique part that you have to do. Uh, let me play you this phrase here yeah. first. The, the, phrase, the phrase that I heard in, in Lucky Lady is this. Cool. <laughs> okay, but it's... Uh, sliding from third position down to second. All right, now you take in these notes. But you don't play any of those articulated. You play them all with a slide. After this bit, slide up to it. Slide through all of these. So it's it's all it, it gives you the impression that there are notes in between the ones that you're hearing. But actually, uh, it's It's really, it's really smart because it's, it's, um, it's an impressionistic uh, version of the line, and it's, it's an idea more than it is an actual statement. It's, it's just that you're not playing about <laughs> a, a lot of the, the passing tones you don't get because the frets take them away from you. Right, but this right. way, you, you can imply the stuff that's in the cracks. Oh, it's so great sounding. Man. Well... And it has to be, you know, the pressure on the left hand has to be there all the time mm -hmm. while you're playing. Really, the uh, the right hand part of it that makes it work is uh, the tremolo speed. And that uh, it all has to be a subdivision of the beat. If you can't, it doesn't fit if, if it's not a subdivision of the beat. Gotcha. Uh, and if you if it's a subdivision of the beat, then you can put in accents and rhythmic things as well as as play the melody line, and then you get that extra added dimension of it too. Even over a phone, it sounds just like you. <laughs> it's so cool, man. Yeah, I'm smiling so big right now. <laughs> well, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, it's so great. Yeah, I love right. it. I mean, it's just, it's it's instantly recognizable, you know what I mean? Which is hard to, it, not everybody can do that, and um, you pull it off, man. Well, not everybody wants to. I mean, some people call it. <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, I've about it's not it's not for everybody. Sure. Some people refer to it as as being sloppy or trashy playing, but 
uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a dig so much as is an effort to try to describe what it is. But what it is 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 playing mandolin was uh, and thinking of it as fiddle. Uh, the, the the pick thing is, I mean, I, that's that's my answer for the for the short form on what to practice. I mean, the the pick thing is, you know, there's obviously it's a lot of alternating stroke down up down up down up but it's it's a different to me it's a different kind of drag on the string um and i i think this this part of the note that underneath this this, the, the sound of the box yeah you know whenever you play play the note that that bit where the the box is pushing air out, mm-hmm. so you get what what uh, Steve Gilchrist calls uh, sounds like a tennis ball hitting the wall. Oh, yeah. it's a sort of a hollow, poof, puffy sound. That's yeah. to me that's that that's a real integral part of the note on that part of the sound of that style of playing. So I don't I don't make any effort to try to play just just the string sound but mm-hmm. but you know the box the sound of the box has got to be in there too if you, if you listen to it you can you can hear on the front of it it just kind of kind of goes poof, poof, poof. it's that sort of that that sort of hollow sound yeah Anyway, I mean, uh, the, the percussive aspects of it don't bother me. It, it, it does bother some people, but I think, to me, that's that's part of the way it should sound. Oh, I think, yeah, it's great. Well, what, what mandolin were you picking at? Was that a Gilchrist that you are playing right there? Yeah, that's the uh, uh, 536. It's one I've had for since 2002, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is, is that your number one mandolin? Yeah, I use that one probably more than the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got I've got a duff here that I like real well that I use for for some things. Sometimes I'll just put it put it in the cat car and and <laughs> leave all the rest of it. It's a, it's a it's a real real kind of a in your face kind of a, a sound. It sounds like a sounds like a plank with strings on it. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I really dig that about it. And what type of what type of strings and picks do you use? Uh, right now, I've, I've been using uh, the Dario the EXP seventy four for a long time. Mm-hmm. The sort of that medium gauge set, but the but the uh, wound strings, I like those. They're they're a little bit slicker feeling, and uh, I've started using blue chip picks some. Um, Heidi, Heidi, uh, my partner Heidi got him to to send me a few of them, and and I'm I'm kind of getting used to them. Cool. Uh, they they play real clean. They they do have a, I, I guess some people say that they have a sort of a um, a bright sound, but I don't I don't get that from them. I guess it's got to do with the gauge. These are uh, TAD three R's. Oh yeah, forty five. 45s. Okay, so a little bit thinner ones. Yeah, I've tried the 50, and it's just, 
it's it sounds good on one of my other mandolins, but uh, I think that's what I've used on this Duff. But or maybe I've got a, an oval hole Gilchrist that I play too. Um, it it seems to like a little bit different pick gauge too. So I mean, you know, I don't know. I guess you can get a little bit bogged down in your in your, <laughs> oh. in your, good, in your goodie bag. There. Oh, for sure, man. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I like I like them. I've I've got some other things that I use occasionally too, but uh, I, I have some I have some made in uh, in J- I get them from Japan. Shin Akimoto hooked me up with a guy over there that that makes sort of an uh, like an old fashioned acetylate kind of a thing, and and they they work well. They they've got a uh, a, a little bit more of a um, a duller sound. I don't. I don't like the the material that gives you a real, real break. I, I, it just makes me want to grind my teeth. All this, all the stuff that I like tends to. It, it's more about having more body in the in the notes rather than sizzle. I, I just don't. And that, I don't know. Sound is hard to describe. Oh yeah. Then there's different kinds of sizzle. I think, but when it gets up on the high end, and there's and there's don't have that body underneath there. It, it I don't know. I, I kind of lose interest in it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. You got to. I mean, you got to. Sounding good is part of the inspiration of playing. You know. Too. That's the other thing. If you have a good tone going, it's uh, you just want to yeah. keep. You want to keep on trucking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what if uh, if you had ten minutes today to pick up your mandolin, and you just don't, and that was it. What is something that you would work on? Um, to kind of help yourself just get better today. Black right hand. Nice. Like what type of right hand stuff? Just being able to hold a pick and see if if I could make it feel more like it belongs in my hand. Mm-hmm. It's just taking a foreign object and trying to make music out of it. It's just, you know, you got all the shoulder and and arm and wrist and, and hand and neck and, and all of it, trying to use all of those muscles and, and all that effort ends up coming out, touching, making contact with the mandolin at the tip of the pick. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just trying to work on right hand technique more, getting the down and the up feeling more even. And, and I have a, I have a sound in in my head that uh, I've heard Monroe do, and I know it it was a it wasn't an accurate statement of what he was playing because whatever tape recorder he was playing in, it was feeding back. But it's the sound, I, and it's been in my head for probably the last thirty years. If I could make a mandolin sound that way when I was playing alternating stroke, uh-huh. it's it's more like. It's it's more of that thing where more like playing a long note than it is play it. That's the sound that it implies. Wow. And I don't know if I can. Even, I don't know if I can. Once in a while, I can. I can sort of get at it. I don't know. I haven't been playing enough today. Some 
of it's coming off all right in this bit. But, and then, you know, this Monroe stuff, you can't just play a note for, for much longer than that without having to put some rhythm in it someplace. somewhat natural right now but some days it just feels like it's it's the most foreign thing there is yeah well i think people need to hear that though knowing a guy like you has days just like everyone does you know that's encouraging it's technique i mean like i say right now it feels pretty good um yeah sounds pretty good too (laughs) (laughs) well i have i haven't practiced much today uh, I, I like to like to get a few hours in every day. Uh, sometimes, it, sometimes it's it's possible. Sometimes it's possible to do more and some less. Yeah, for sure. And then um, it is mandolins and beer. So I would like to ask you: Do you have, if you were to drink a beer while you were playing today, do you have a favorite beer that you would like? I I try not to drink a beer when I'm playing because I I I, I tend to be a little bit too improvisational. <laughs> 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 the last the last time I tried drinking a beer before I went on stage, it didn't turn out so good. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Well, no, but really, um, I like I like high gravity beers a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like IPAs too much. I think I think the the IPA has been taken way past <laughs> sure. the point of drink drinkability to to it just kind of being ridiculous at this point. But I do I like I like uh, some of the some of the ales. I, I like uh, ambers pretty good. Something that's sort of like middle. There's there's an amber here in town that they make at. Uh, one of the breweries that is is really nice, uh, and then they have a red ale that's really good too. Do you know which brewery it is? Uh, or brewery it is? Uh, Fat Bottom. Oh, okay, cool, man. Yeah, one, they have a one called Ruby Red that that Heidi likes real well. It's just real. It's mellow, and mm-hmm. uh, the the amber is Ida I D A. Well, I, I mostly, you know, just sort of. I like some of the English ales when I'm in England, but not here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's yeah, there's something, uh, something something missing a little bit when you when you cross the pond. <laughs> I like I like yeah I like a few of the pilsners real well, and uh, I really like those Belgian uh, those trapeze monks the the ones that they make the, yeah. the ales that they make like Chimay's and. Uh, I had another one here not too awful long ago that was just killer. I can't remember the name. There's there's one I got for Christmas from a lady that lives in Kalamazoo. It's um uh, two two hearted ale. Yeah. But, but it was a it it's uh but it was a double it was a double IPA. So it was it, it was a two hearted ale, but it was a double two hearted. Yeah, it's strong. That one that <laughs> that yeah, have you had it? Yes, <laughs> it's so good. That's 
that is a that's a good rich one. I mean, you can you can feel the damn liquid running through your veins. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's the kind of sit, sit down and do nothing, dear. Right exactly, there. exactly. Well, Mike, we, we might have to do a we, have, we might have to do a part two of one of these. I I could talk to you, I could talk to you for forever. You have we have some stuff I'd still like to uh to get back on, and well, I'll have the links to all your stuff. And I can't thank you okay. enough. You are uh, you're, you're the best, man. I really really appreciate it. Thank you. I'll just soon do this as anything else. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you, Mike. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, and there you have it, Mike Compton. Go to MikeCompton.net. His website's all redone. You can pick up all his music, uh, the Norman Blake album and book that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but I talked about at the beginning of the podcast is available on there. Um, and now, thank you for sticking around. Uh, you get to hear the brand new Hawktail single. So check it out, follow them, and we'll talk to you all next week. Cheers. Cheers.